0: a snippet of a quote from a uh, camera talking wise that space like design makes features and that is the case i've personally as like working as a designer for about a decade now i've never designed something for the past
1: welcome to beyond aesthetics a podcast about art and design from the fountain institute an educational company based in berlin in this podcast we explore how to think like an artist and how to think like a designer I'm Hannah Baker and in today's episode my co-founder Jeff Humble and I talk with Adam Zeiner, a senior strategic designer at the Institute for Health in Austin, Texas. Have you ever heard of futures thinking, speculative design, systems thinking and thought what are these and how can I use them in my design practice? Well today we'll talk with Adam about his path towards building an expertise in design futures, where do art and design overlap, is futures literacy an important 21st century skill, and how and when can we integrate these into our design practice. So let's get started. Well, can you tell, I mean, I'm curious a little bit about like your, like why you wanted to do this, or like I, you said that like you know someone or read a book by someone who was like, who, who started doing the book by doing these recordings or something, or what was your kind of thoughts behind that?
0: Sure, so how did I, how did I make my way into this weird world? Um, so after I finished up college in Austin, I, I started up an interactive art collective tech, tech art, computer-based art collective with a couple of friends, um, that we, that I met through this interactive installation meetup in Austin and the woman who runs the meetup, Lisa Woods, and then my friend who I started the collective with, Kevin Riley, basically just the things I would talk about with them. They both were like, oh, you you should check out design fiction. Um, and I'd never heard of that before. And my friend, Kevin, he gave me this book by Anthony Dunn called "Herdseeing Tales. And it's, it's dense, it's super dense. Um, I don't think it's like a, necessarily an introduction to the topic because it was like his thesis in book form. Um, but by way of that, I found like lighter entry points to it. So all that's to say, I was introduced to, like, I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know these disciplines existed. Uh, but a friends from an art collective told me. And a year or two after that, I went to a meetup that I saw in town about it, a speculative futures meetup. And I was just like, yep, this is it. This is the stuff I'm interested in. This is like the more avant-garde, like, forward-thinking design practices that are, like, at this blurry in-between between more unconstrained artistic practices or more strategic design processes. And also just like, as I got older and learned about the world and started resenting operating under capitalism more and more, it was nice to find like design disciplines that also were very critical of what we were doing. Yeah. Yeah, long-winded to say through an art collective, I I heard about it, which I feel like is appropriate.
1: Yeah, it feels about right. Are you still working with them
0: now? since COVID, like really since the before times, so much of what our collective was, was like, we would all meet up every week and like jam on stuff. And it's just, it's not the same doing it remotely. And I think we all have like, we all work full time. So we just have like Zoom fatigue. Um, And then also as our projects got bigger and bigger, and then we had to apply for grants and then we were beholden to whoever we applied to those for. And it just, for me, kind of ruined the fun. Like I wanted to do it because I enjoyed doing it and it was fun. And doing it in like a bigger and bigger scale ruined the fun. Mm. So now it's just like fun or like our own little projects that we do, like very small scale, at least for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. Cause I'm like, what was, so you felt like you were like kind of, as you said, like beholden to other like ties to like grants and money and stuff like that. And so do you feel like that was like, inhibiting you in like the conceptual part of it, or like the output part of it, or like what parts of it were like, I mean, I asked that also just cause like, I'm really curious, like, and I know we've told you a little bit about, this is a little bit of a tangent, but um, about wanting at some point in the future to do like residencies. And, and so like, I'm kind of curious of like, what aspects of it you feel like you weren't getting that you missed from what it was before.
0: I mean, I think from there's the the pressure. Like, if you're getting a grant, you're gonna your work will be public after, and a lot of the organizations that give the grants, it's a it's an avenue for publicity. So there's that pressure, um, which is always daunting. Some grants are the the scope or the remit is super narrow. Some aren't. It depends on who you're. Like we did, we got some through the city, and they they weren't as familiar with tech-based art. So a lot of the structures they had in place they needed to like very quickly adapt to like what we, to what we were doing. So that was a whole thing. Um, fortunately, I, had, I didn't have to deal with the reporting side of things, but that was a whole thing that someone had to focus on, which obviously that's not fun. Um, and then also if people don't get something done, if it's like a personal project and someone doesn't do something, it's fine. But if it's a job that you have basically outside of work and someone doesn't do something that just like very quickly makes things tense and like ruins friendships just a mix of things and then also just like as we all got older um like my work became mentally more demanding like strategic work is is a big brain drain and a lot of the art work that we were doing is like you got to think about it and it's just like I only have so much energy in a day
1: right yeah Yeah, I was working with a collective in Austin, um, one that we formed, and it's like, yeah, we were getting grants to the city, and also, I don't know, you just touched on a couple of things that really, like, I was like, yeah, it was really frustrating when we had to, like, do certain things that were, like, we wouldn't have done if we didn't have the grant, and then also the idea of, like, being beholden to certain financial benchmarks that we had to make. And then, unfortunately, sometimes that can kind of ruin friendships as well. Yeah. So, Big time. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: and as a segue, too, to what we were just chatting about this like speculative Edu summer school that I did, um, it was interesting, too, because it wasn't, I mean, me going, it wasn't grant funded. Um, but there were certain things that this program had to do because it received funding from various entities. So like the final exhibition part of the ask was focused on an artifact in our group. We didn't want to just do one tangible thing. We're like, no, we want to set up an experience. So that was a whole thing. It's just, I mean, it's constraints, right? Like it's just Mm. figuring out where's their wiggle room and where do you just have to do something. And when someone's paying you, there's a lot less wiggle room. I think too, in, in the, in the, the less constrained like arts and futures world from what I've seen I think a lot of the earlier groups doing the work were very much they it was it was an avocational effort for them it was something they did outside of their various careers and they were all friends and they did it as friends um and still a lot of people I see doing it as just friends with similar interests doing a lot of this kind of work as opposed to I'm a futures designer at X, Y, or Z organization. It's, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it's more people doing it of their own accord. And then as you get funding to do projects, I think the reason a lot of people get drawn to this is they don't want to have to work within like the short-term constraints or like you got to focus on this one thing. They they want time and space to play. Um, And when you're beholden to whomever gave you money to do something, you don't always get that time and space. I think you rarely do.
1: Yeah. But I think, I mean, we've also had conversations in the past, though, that, like, we've noticed there's not really, like, job titles or opportunities out there for these types of jobs as much either. Um, Do you see, like, a, a space where, like, those can work together, though? Where, like, you can, like, have the freedom to, like, have the openness that you would want? to like actually have the time and, and resources to explore these ideas, but also it being in a productive way that like it could be more of a position or a career?
0: I think there are some, like I have friends that will do residencies and I have friends that will do fellowships. So I think those are two avenues that you can do it. Um, residencies whether you're the an artist in residence at an organization or a corporation or you're or you're doing it through um a cultural organization like that's one avenue in terms of like the futures futures more academic side of things a lot of larger corporations have like phd academically trained futurists who work for them a lot of the people do the work as consultants um but that's and then we can dig into that later like more on the the research or strategic side of things there there are people who are like i'm a foresight strategist i'm a futurist there there are positions for people like that um i think less so for well, less so for the the less constrained or more divergent design side of things i think organizations have to be a certain scale before they have money to put towards that stuff um like google creative lab is just an example that bumps into my head or yeah, people who, who are given the space wherever they like moonshot what, what was google x it's now moonshot like those those places are rare there's archie
1: <laughs> hey archie um well in reference to this uh we're talking a little bit more in the details of it but one of the questions that we kind of had is like um what what where does speculative design come from like so um thinking about who our, our audience is, I think that there's a lot of people who are interested in it or have heard about it or like probably interested in the concepts of it but don't know it by name. And so would you mind kind of like talking through that a little bit?
0: Yeah, I'll do my best to. <clears throat> um, so there's a really, usually there's a really great diagram that Elliot Montgomery put together that that it, it's on just one one axis, constrained, or unconstrained, it kind of points out some, some of the disciplines and it's like a uh, provocation. Um, speculative design, as far as I understand, is like a, a term or like a discipline. I think it was Anthony Dunn and Fiona Raby who, who kind of coined the term speculative critical design. Their influence, though, um, for this this futures by design training that I'm I'm doing with some people from the Design Futures Initiative, uh, Jack, the instructor, he did a really great job of like tracking the the conceptual or like influential history of the discipline. Like he pointed to people like Sun Ra or various architect like um, superstructure. There's like an Italian architecture group that was just thinking differently. Um, but speculative design, as I think a lot of people think about it, I think it was popularized by Dunn and Raby. Um, now they they I think they've kind of distanced themselves from the discipline as it's expanded into different places. Um, there are some people that that come more from the gallery style arts exploration side of it. Some people are just very critical of power structures and design itself um people who are more from the the futures side of things um and that's the future side of things being future studies and strategic foresight and those more academic disciplines looking at their methods and applying it to design is like loosely in the spec it's like if you put the bubbles together and i'll I'll send y'all the link it's like it's in there but it's 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 different it's its own thing its own flavor of of designing differently I think or approaching problems differently
1: and and for you like what is it if you had to put yourself into that like spectrum or into that like kind of framework like what is where do you think you fall into that or like what excites you like what what parts of that like get you excited
0: yeah I, I definitely came into it More on the unconstrained side, I think, as a kid reading science fiction, as a college student um, studying advertising and digital arts and media, I I came in on the wanting to do really interesting things, interesting and creative things with technology. So coming at it from more of the, the, this is going to be a statement piece or this is something you would exhibit. This is, this is far less constrained, whereas now, I think especially for work, I, I live more in the strategic space of what are these methods, what are these frameworks, what are these terms that, in my mind, readily applicable to design, um, that are similar to what designers and researchers and strategists already do, um, that, that let me get my head out of the, here's this fiscal quarter, here's this fiscal year, like think short, like short term, we gotta get, we like shareholders need their returns. And also just like more broad than I used to when I was doing UX design, I would focus on like digital touch points and sometimes even just like certain features, wanting to go beyond that. And like, there's this technical thing, it lives in this like socio-technical structure, like wanting to, to think a bit more broadly um, so all that's kind of say now, definitely more on the the strategic design bubble that's in that in that chart, or maybe not in the chart um, or design futures, but that's also just pretty it's kind of ambiguous at this point. more more constrained than unconstrained and probably now more critical than than idealistic and like wanting to just explore for the sake of exploring now it's like oh I I'm understanding I'm seeing these power structures that that govern how I inhabit the world and I don't like them
1: yeah and 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 with that you feel like at least with understanding them more do you feel like you can like break them apart like my assumption is it's like okay I understand these more so now I can actually like if I understand how something works then I can also understand how I can work within that structure too
0: I think so yeah it's it's like getting a a general sense of the structure is like how can I subvert it to get what I need to get done done or like what's going to stop me from getting what I need to get done done um and I mean that that dips I think too into the systems side of things, but I'll 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 put a pin in the systems <laughs> side of
1: things for now. Yeah. Um, one thing that you mentioned in your uh, email to us that I thought was interesting was like the and, and I think this is attached of the same idea. Of maybe I'm wrong, and so correct me. Is like this idea of like that this is like a 21st century skill. Um. Like I think. This I is think like, so. And so, like, I think you, if I'm looking at it, you said, like, uh, futures literacy is an important 21st century skill. And so, like, yeah, I'm seeing that, like, connection of what you're saying with the idea of um, being able to look at the whole structure and being able to look at it and how I can work within it and also, like, um, yeah, how that can be important moving forward for, like, designers as a whole, I think, is, like, where... I'm thinking about.
0: I think so. Yeah, I think like there's the whole debate of should designers code? Well, if they code, they need they need to have basic compute like computational literacy. They need to understand the medium they're working in. And now, as designers are as we're finding ourselves in more strategic positions, um, I think we we need to be literate about the implications of the things that we're doing, like making the things we're putting out in the world. Um, essential. A snippet of a quote from uh, Cameron Talking Wise that basically "Like design makes futures," and that is the case. I've personally, as like working as a designer for about a decade now, I've never designed something for the past. Like what I'm designing, and oftentimes too, depending on what kind of organization you work in, you're thinking months or years ahead. And you're trying to anticipate mm-hmm. what's happening, and you're you're building something to to steer things in the way you want it to go. So I think futures literacy is, Oh, as designers, we all, we, we make things that will exist in a time that is not now that is years or months from now. Um, so we need to be able, we need to be literate. Like we need to be able to think about or think over longer arcs of time. than well, like, what are we tracking this sprint? Like, are, are, are we going to get our points or are we going to, are we going to hit our numbers by the end of the quarter? Uh, I like, being able to think about multiple future states is not easy. Like as humans, like there's a, someone had said like that your future self is a stranger. Like when I was a kid, I'd always try and think about who will I be when I grow up? And it was really hard. Like I had such a hard time thinking about who will I be. And even now as like a 30 year old, I'm like, huh, who will I be at 40? Like, where will I be in the world? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Like it's hard for me. And I do this kind of stuff all day. And, and then if you like abstract it out from like your immediate self of like, oh, this thing I'm working on with this organization that is being created with a lot of other organizations that's going to be put in the world and like all of these different people's perspectives and then also like what could happen? What could be good? What could be bad? I think it's, and it's not me saying like Futures Literacy is a 21st century skill even though I agree with it. Um, UNESCO is pushing hard for it. I think, I think they're, I, and I agree with with that thought. Um, and I think it's it's another it's a mindset for designers to inhabit with like its own set of tools that is that is very useful.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jeff, did you notice this at all with like within career Foundry of like pushing that either to like the designers that you guys are training or like the within the own your own managing style? I'm curious about.
2: Sorry, my mic's going to feel like shit sound like shit. So that's why I was kind of muting. Um, yeah, um, I, I don't feel like when you get in when you go through a boot camp that you get anything besides the hard skills you need to get into the the career field. Um, and and I think what's interesting about what you're saying is that you keep saying the the tools and the skills um, and and, I, and I'm just wondering like, do you have an example of how some of those tools, uh, have helped your, your design practice Adam? Cause you were doing, you got into interaction design, you know, before this and some, some more like UX UI stuff in the past. So I'm curious how you kind of transitioned into some of these newer skills.
0: I think a lot of it was, I, I, I happened to be interested in it and I'm an excitable guy. So when I get interested in something, I get really interested in it, Jeff, you've probably seen, um, I'm gonna move him. Learning about speculative design as a discipline, it was really exciting for me. I I devoured as much as I could about it. And as I was reading more about that, um, I looked looked into some of the theory behind it. I was like, oh, this is super applicable to the work I do. Um, Around that same time too, I, I transitioned from working at an agency to working at more of a consultancy, so doing more consulting work along with design work. And I think as a part of that, you use, you use frameworks, you utilize frameworks to get things done. Um, but also around that time, I was doing a lot of design system work. Um, and then thinking about design systems, I was drawn to the systems side of things and like the human side of that so then started just learning more about systems thinking um and so as i was as my career was going more in the direction of of consulting and my and advising as a designer but uh, from a more strategic perspective and not just doing the production work i found myself using some of those frameworks to explain what I was thinking. Um, And from there, I I definitely doubled down on not just utilizing whatever framework the organization used or whatever I was reading about online at the time, but like, okay, what is something that makes sense to me that will help me think about something in in a, and I think like a more responsible way. I don't know if that answers the question. I got distracted by Archie.
2: Yeah, that that answers the question. And I think that this is, this is a question that that came from um, a graduate of our course. Um, And and we were going into some systems thinking for understanding the ecosystem that you work in. Um, And I'm curious to ask you, you know, when is systems thinking practical for, for your design work? And is it a certain company size where it becomes more practical?
0: I mean, it's interesting too because I'm I'm still very much a, a, student, in 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 the systems thinking world. I mean, in the futures, world too. Like as as much as I'm able to to speak about it and apply it to my work, I'm still learning about. Like every day, I'm learning more. Um, I think organization size, the size of an organization, is less of a. Constraint for for being able to apply systems thinking to design work. It's more what what is the remit or what is the scope of the project that you're on. And something you posted the other day, right? Like um, the problem space versus the solution space. Like if you're if you as a designer are allocated to a project, if you're an individual contributor and you're put on a project and you're in that problem space and it's time to like produce or render solutions. Systems thinking is not always that applicable uh, because you'll very quickly boil the ocean and, and you'll you'll think yourself out of doing some of the production work that you need to do. Whereas if you're earlier on in a project, if you're in the research phase or if you're um you work in a higher level position in an organization that isn't just working as an individual contributor, I think that's where it's more readily applicable is, is when you are trying to, when you're in the the problem space, you're like, when you're trying to bound the the focus of a project, like set boundaries, when you're trying to frame a problem, uh, when you're trying to understand, okay, this organization is paying me to do whatever, like why, what are their, what are, what is incentivizing them to ask me to do this thing? Um, what are their goals? Who are the other people at play that, that I'm going to need to interface with? Um, what are some externalities that, that, could stop me from being able to do what I need to do I think it's it's tough and this it was tough for me when I was in junior design positions and even as like a mid-level designer it was harder to apply systems thinking to the work that I was doing fortunately since I was doing design systems work I got to geek out because as a consultant a lot of it was helping organizations like start their systems so I needed to explain to them the general theory behind it and I Agents agent says that they let me kind of geek out a bit of like there's design and systems. Like it's not just these components. Like there's a reason we do this thing. Um, and as I've progressed into, into more strategic roles at, at, at less technically focused organizations, I've been able to apply it, but I very much was looking for organizations of where can I go and do systemic design work or where can I go and not be doing just production work? So I had to search for that. And it took, and I was like, whenever I, I, I um, mentor students sometimes through UT Austin where I work or, or otherwise just through design communities, I'll kind of always tell them it's like, think about your jobs as steps towards what you want to do more and figure out like what parts of your of your work can you really like hone in on and then use that to pivot to what you want to do next. Because even now, like I've been working for a while and I'm, I'm still thinking like, well, what do I want to do next? Do I want to double down on the future side of things? do I want to really hone in on the systemic kind of work? Do I, do I want to switch back to doing more production work because I enjoy making things like something I'm thinking about?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And is there a crossover between the future side of things and the system, uh, system thinking side of things?
0: I think there is. And it's, it's something, part of why I wanted to chat with y'all today too. And why I was excited to get to, to speak at your meetup event, uh, is, I've kind of given myself a personal project of like in my head, I've been thinking about futures and systems and all this stuff. And I, I've humans, we connect, like we connect dots. Like we see patterns. I'm like, there's a lot of overlap between these schools of thoughts, these, these mindsets and then the methods for them. There's a lot, but because a lot of applied futures work and a lot of applied systems work, a lot of it comes from academia there. I think there are, are artificial distinctions because of academic disciplines. There's a lot of artificial distinctions made for for the reasons that govern those like that govern academia that I don't have to worry about as much as it, when I'm working in industry. Um, I was just like, you know what? This is this is this is bullshit. This is just jargon. This is un, there. This is unnecessarily complicated for for some very complicated frameworks, but some not. Some methods that are pretty simple, um, but also. Now having had the privilege of, of working on projects with academically trained futurists, I noticed a lot of those people teach both strategic, like they teach foresight courses and systems thinking courses. And a lot of their methods or their frameworks or their the ways that they review data, there's a lot of similarities between how they approach problems because they're thinking long-term, they have to think about, um, they're very like, like the societal the economic the technical the the like cultural aspects they have to think about all of those things so naturally they start thinking rather systemically um i think a big difference between the futures work and the systems work is oftentimes systemic work is very focused on a singular state or like we're moving towards another one whereas a lot of the futures work is is a little bit more thinking about change over time they both deal with change over time or trying to like provoke or like observe change. Um, I'm gonna I feel like I'm gonna keep saying this like all that to say yeah. I think there's a <laughs> lot of overlap and I'm I'm trying to force myself to to write something about it. And I'm I'm still trying to figure out what is like a really concrete um, example or context or project to anchor it in because this stuff's super meta. This stuff is super heady. Um
1: right. they're like, both what is kind
0: of meta discipline.
1: Like what does it look like? in the practical or like what does it look like yeah
0: Um, like give someone a boundary object to instead of just like oh futures all these all these different factors swirling around us that we inhabit they're like all right cool what does that mean like i live in a system am i a system like
1: right or like you know i'm i'm a ux design or at a product company where like i need to like do i need to build these frames or these like these uh wireframes or I need to build these like prototypes like how does this affect like what I'm doing in the moment sometimes um, but like yeah I think like with everything it's it, like when Jeff asked that I was like that's exactly the question I wanted to ask too because I feel like even in my own mind they like blend together so much like I, I have a hard time defining um, and like I'm not nearly as deep into it as you are but like even when I think about them like I, I still sometimes have a hard time separating one from the other because like I do feel like there is like a commonality between them and like you have to kind of think about sometimes you have to think about both and not just one
0: yeah I, I think that's accurate and, and even someone who like I'm I think about this a lot I I think I now know enough to know how much I don't know about both disciplines, Um, but also the, the stemming from more academic spaces, there are also professional societies that will, that will help give definitions for what either my, like what futures thinking is versus what systems thinking is versus like design less so for the term design futures, but like futures in general, there are professional organizations and their academic programs for systems thinking. There are professional organizations and their academic programs. Um, because of that, they're they're going to draw distinctions. I right? and I think there it's fair too. But there's just so much overlap. And then design too. Like design comes in and design is like a hyper applied discipline. So anything I learn, I am I am immediately like, how can I apply this? Like I can read about it and get excited same with sci-fi same with the speculative, like the dun and Raby books i read or the um i got this book from extrapolation factory where they took a lot of these methods and just made them really simple and i was like this is so cool i want to apply it to something i think probably a lot of designers too they hear about a method they're like cool i want to apply like let let me apply this so i can like sink my teeth into it because that's kind of just how i think that's how we operate is like think by making or like i I have to like really like dig into something to get it otherwise i'll just just, something else will excite me and i'll chase that
1: yeah sure you have to like um i mean this is a lot of the reason why in our course even like we have them we teach them something and then they have to like apply it to their like in their context of their like working environment at that moment and do it and because it's like with thinking about how like learning works and thinking about how to like, like and and good learning where you're like really like solidify that concept in your head is like, you have to apply that concept to something. Um, and, and even better when it's something in your own life too, or like your working life in that sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm curious though also because like uh, you're the one that kind of wanted to um, or you initiated this call and, and this talk right now, and we have a little bit of time left. Like, are there other things that you kind of wanted to maybe like work out, like speak out loud or like work out ideas that you, um, you haven't touched on yet?
0: Yes, it's a good reminder. There are there's some things I need to articulate. Um, so this is something I've been thinking about and part of why I was like, I need to sit and just like write something to get something on paper. Um, so I drew myself like a little three-part Venn diagram. You know how IDEO has like, well, Jeff, I know you know, feasibility, desirability, and uh, I should probably know the third thing, but I can't think of it right now. So I kind of made myself when I was like, well, why do I use the strategic pre- prefix? Um, like, even a, a a friend of mine who's older and kind of a mentor was like, every designer is strategic, and I was like, yeah, but like not always. Like not always. I was like, yes and no. Um So as a strategic designer as that means that I'm not a design strategist. I'm not a design mm. researcher. I'm a designer. I, I having worked with very capable, very inspiring researchers and strategists, I'm not a strategist. I'm not a business strategist. I'm not a whatever you want to say strategist. I think strategically, but I'm I'm not a strategist. I'm a designer, but oftentimes when I'm when I hang out with my designer friends, like I just think differently than they do. I approach things in a different way than they do. Um, so I was like, okay, there's futures, there's there's systems, and then uh there's design. And I'm like, I kind of am in this like weird little sweet spot where I'm coming into the picture as a designer that is drawing from the way I think systemically. And what I've learned from, from exploring the future's world, I draw on futures methods and I apl- like I apply a systems mindset to the design work that I do. Um, and that, yeah. And I, I kind of like started like mapping it out a little in my head of like, what does that even mean strategic, whatever. Um, a lot of times if you do white collar knowledge labor, your, your work is probably somewhat strategic. Right. Um, but there's a difference between doing strategy for organizations and just approaching things strategically. And I think like strategic design is when people like if someone were to hire me or they want to work with me, I'm, I'm coming at it as like, I'm a designer. Like if you work with me, I'm, I'm not a researcher. I can do it, but I'm, that's not me. Um, but just looking at, yeah, looking to apply strategic methods from systems, futures, strategic business to design problem spaces.
2: I think the confusion comes from the fact that a lot of design titles, you can flip it and figure out what it is, like service designer, I design services, product designer I design products, UX designer, I design user experience. And that, that's probably like the first level and not completely accurate at at its heart. Um and uh, there's always more nuances, but in this case, it's like you're saying it's not that at all. It's it's in fact exactly how it how it sounds.
0: I think so. Like, can you can you design a strategy? Like, yes, but strategy is so dependent on context. And as designers, it's like you talk about the problem space, like bounding that problem, like framing that context, mapping out that context, giving someone giving people tangible representations of of what it is they're strategizing around or towards. And I think that's the useful aspect for me, at least too, is as a designer, I think visually, I like to represent things. I like to do things, I like quick and dirty. Like, is this what you're thinking? I like to show people things that I know are wrong. So they'll tell me what they're thinking. Um, so that's that's kind of how I view it. Like, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna be doing any kind of financial modeling. I'm not gonna be prototyping with numbers necessarily but i i i will embody or render strategies to to drive that conversation forward and then also hopefully think like what are the unintended consequences that can get really unethical oh this could be really interesting like also thinking about like here's our here are our current constraints if this is this future scenario we want to work to as an organization or as a human like here's where we're at like we're not going to get there but how can we get closer to that and then again, yeah, just like falling back to like mark making, rendering, like doing something, v- usually for me, visual.
2: Do you, do you see it? Um, do you see your work and, and one of the reasons you're you're excited about futures and and you're learning more and doing more? Do you see that as as, as because of the, it's the sort of individual contributor path upwards from interaction design, or, or do you think that has anything to do with nothing to do with it at all?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Because I'm also like I'm at that juncture too, where I'm like thinking, I like people. Do I want to manage people for work? Not necessarily, because that's really hard to do. People are the hardest design problem I've ever encountered, Not even great people. Um, I think to a certain extent, regardless of what discipline you work in, as you as you advance to higher levels of an organization, your work becomes strategic right like the c-suite vps like they all a lot of them do similar things they just come from different backgrounds and bring a different mindset to it and also i think the individual contributor part's interesting too um i think a lot of it's also just like what am i personally interested in what what can help me stay excited enough to continue to operate under capitalism like in my dream world i wouldn't have to to work um i would work because i'd be interested in things but I wouldn't have to work on like prescribed problems from organizations who give me money. I'd explore what I'm interested in exploring.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think when I, when I hear you talk about what you do, like I hear some like, reminds me of like campaign people do strategic communications and, and try to come up with messages that work with, with voters or you know, a conceptual design like uh, I'm, I'm trying to um, create some sort of artifact to in, then sneak in some sort of bigger idea and a lot of those aspects of, and how do you describe that, that to someone who has no idea what you do? Like what's your kind of elevator pitch? Do you have one? I should,
0: I don't, I should. Well, cause you and I like, you and I have chatted about this in various ways, like the, the overlap of like conceptual art and this, this these types of design. Um, and kind of, as you were asking your question, I, I like jokingly tweeted yesterday, like, um, Mapping strategy as the territory as a performance art piece. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll like I'm going to take that because I think it's just funny. I like doing like little tweets and always like as a performance art piece. It's like a thing I like to do. Um, but the elevator pitch would like at a really tactical level. What do I like? What is it that I do? Um, and it kind of is mapping the territory. So representing the abstraction of of a strategic vision in a visual way um and then I do it as a performance art piece because like labor like is performative like working like my coworkers know they know my quirks and they know how I feel about <laughs> uh, continuing to operate under capitalism in the U.S. and in Texas um so I can joke with them but with clients like I can't do that Right? like I'm not gonna get in there and be like oh I thought you all hate capitalism right like this sucks <laughs> doesn't it um, but yeah, I think mapping mapping the territory, like mapping strategy as the territory, and then also offering paths through that territory. I, I'm gonna use that as a performance art piece. And then I was like, because now I'm a working artist, because they might not know it, but I'm doing this as like the like this is a joke, but like, I'm doing this as like a performance art piece. I'm doing my job as a performance art piece. So I'm a, I'm a working artist.
1: Yeah. But it's not at all at the same time. (laughs) Not at all. No. Yeah. Um, I feel like I want to like indulge my own desires here. And like, there's a few things that you touched on and we've talked about in the past too, is this like idea of the like conceptual, um, Connect like conceptual art world connected to this like strategic world and futures world, and um, and as well as like you know, this idea of like performance piece. Um, in an undergrad, we had this joke that like anytime we were doing something stupid, it was like we always said, like, oh, this is just a performance art piece. Like, it's like a um, so like I kind of have this like quite, like I have this curiosity of like if you like could kind of go off in an area for like in, or indulge in an area for like i don't know a few months or a year or something that kind of didn't have restraints of you know time or money and like or an outcome like what what where would you like indulge in this kind of area in i th-
0: i think personally i've been I've been getting more interested in organizational development, so just how humans work with other humans. So I think doing this in the organizational development space without like a prescribed end that I'm working towards, but just to explore, I think that'd be interesting. I think when I when I and when I rarely have the headspace to step back and think about more existential threats and crises beyond Living in Texas with no mask mandate and the winter storm, so no reliable power grid or infrastructure, and then living in the U.S., um, which y'all are are watching from afar, but can you guys get it? Um, then I'm like, oh right, uh, climate collapse. Like, oh yeah, like I read an article today. It was like ecological suicide or something. That I so I would maybe look more at my ecological system space. Um, and maybe I'd focus on, I, I, I really like waterfalls. So maybe if I wanted to make it really concrete, I'd like dig in there, like really dig into like, all right, let's take a really like an ecological purview of waterfalls and like the immediate surrounding. I don't know where that would go, but yeah. then I'd get to like go explore waterfalls
1: yeah, and then I want to ask you another like self-indulgent question. Um, like do you think that um, these kind of like futurist uh, speculative conceptual art pieces can have impact outside of the art world?
0: I think that's the goal. I think I think like the the idiom of like designers, like you are not your audience. like our audience for your work isn't designers. I think speculative and critical design can get really tripped up or mired in that of like a lot of the people that are interested in it. You do want to do something that would be respected by others doing it, but all, at the end of the day, it doesn't, it does not matter what they think. Um, like a really successful critical or speculative piece would be something you mount in the real world and people are able to suspend disbelief long enough to be like, Oh yeah, I could see that. Like, so yes. And I, and an, and an example for that, um, Years ago in East Austin, rapidly gentrifying East Austin, particularly East 6th Street, which is just, it is a different world now. On this old building that the owners refused to sell, someone put up a Chili's Coming Soon banner. And so they put up this banner for Eastside Chili's Coming Soon. And they even made like a, a menu with like East Austin dishes. And people were just outraged. And I was just like, this is just so, like, I, for a while I was like, oh, is there a chilies coming? Like tight. I like chilies um but then i was like and then i realized it, it was fake and i was just like oh that's like amazing because then people were like what are the implications of a Chili's coming here like really we're at that point where Chili's is coming here and then it's like oh why are you opposed to chilies like you've completely changed this area too like who are you to say chilies can't be here right like i was like that brilliant i still don't know who made it mm. um but i was like that was brilliant
1: yeah i love
2: that insight that that designers are not the audience for critical design, design fiction. What, what was it that you said they're not the audience for?
0: Well, so like, I th- like if you think about like a speculative design artifact, um, as an analog to like an industrial designed object, or if you think about a, a speculative or a critical, um, something from the world of like experiential futures, like a, a future scenario that you've made tangible as like an installation setting versus like experience design. Like in the back of our heads, we all want to impress our peers, right? Like I want other, I want other designers to think I'm cool. I want the people who I think are cool to think I'm cool, but they're going to be my, like, I'm going to be my harshest critic. Like it's not for them. It's for the lay public. It's for, it's for the other people who don't think like we all think to have their, their think way of thinking or like the world they'd have it challenged, which is the same as design, right? Like I don't design, I don't make my systems leverage maps for other systems designers because they'd critique the hell out of it. Like I make it for hospitalists or for like, Operations directors, like, okay, we get what we get. How this initial little project can ladder up to this this financial objective that we have.
1: Yeah, and I think um, you touched on this earlier. Is I think like there's a huge impact for like the idea or like the concept of a visual and how that can really like communicate these really, like, complex and and difficult ideas in ways for people, um, uh, I think a wider audience of people.
0: Yeah, I think there's, like, there's really something to, like, design has its roots in, like, producing tangible things. There's really, especially now in, like, our remote world, there's really something to, like, a tangible thing. Yeah. Because even as a designer, like holding the idea or the concept of something and then how I'll manifest it in my head. I struggle with that a lot now too. And I literally get paid to do it. I get paid more than I should probably, like I get paid, I think a good amount to like hold those two things in my head and then do it. But then to ask someone who doesn't do that, to do it is just like, like give, give someone a tangible artifact to like, like, okay, like I can, I can ground this conversation on this. Um right, otherwise you just talk in abstract.
1: Well, right. And I think it's also very different of like you can hold the same concept in your head and you can create a output that is a like is text-based, like paper or article or you know uh document. And um I think that with sometimes these really complicated um unfamiliar uh concepts it's actually putting them being able to map them and being able to put them in somewhat of a visual format creates this like more common language for people who are not in depth into into those fields and so like um I mean I have a desire for that all the time because like language is really difficult for me and always has been but like I think that like if you can when you look at like A research paper or an article, like if you're not familiar with that subject matter and you're not familiar with that industry, then it's hard to get into it because there's, there's like words that they're using and different concepts that they're talking about that you haven't been introduced to before. But if there is a way and it's really difficult to map these, these ideas out and to put them into a like somewhat visual structure. But if you can take that concept and make it into this like, Mapped visual in a way, then I think you actually open it up to much more conversations to people who don't aren't as familiar with that field. and then that's really important to get a variety of opinions and a variety of people who maybe know more things about something else that you don't know that could have a different outlook on it. So I think it really creates this like common object or common output that like you can start to have more conversations around than like a research paper.
0: Yeah, I agree. I a term that I, I forget where it comes from, I, I heard it from someone who went, went to the Stamps Design School up in Michigan, but like a boundary object, right? Like you give everyone this boundary object and that bounds your conversation. Because mm-hmm. I think too, there's something to like taking all this jargon and then visually representing it. I think it forces you to translate something. And I think that's also a big difference between I'm a designer who works strategically versus I'm a strategic designers. Like oh, I'm a designer. I'm going to do a journey map. And this is cause I was just thinking about this for something I'm writing. that I told you about like a journey maps, like a one-to-one representation that there's not a ton of translation there versus like a more systemic representation of things. Like it takes some translation. Like how do I abstract what I'm observing? How do I relate these things like that, that step. And then bringing people along in that. Yeah. It's, it's tough,
1: and then it even goes back to like the um, futurist aspect. I think, at least in my perspective of it, because a lot of times <clears throat> when you have to create a a visual or like a non moving visual that also represents time, where like like if if a process or something is non linear how do you represent that in a way or if it happens at a variety of time like over a period of time like if this one little aspect happens over a period of time and then but that little aspect also integrates into these other things like how do you start to show all that stuff like how do you start to show the connections and also the time framing that's happening within them um and then how that like morphs and changes uh Within the system that you're working into. Like it's, it can be really complicated.
0: Yeah. Representing things that happen like over four dimensions in like a 2D plane, it's, there are limits to what diagrams or like graphics can convey. Yeah, um, for sure. And that's pretty up. Yeah. I think too, that's part of where it's. figuring out ways to like use PowerPoint as a tool to introduce time or like transitions. So then you're not just stuck on like, here's this 2d thing and like all this stuff happening. And then it looks like a bowl of spaghetti.
2: I feel like that, that brings us back to the original um, working title for this, you know, design makes futures. And I feel like I heard you say a few, a few things about that, but I wondered if if you would kind of explain what that would mean to you um, now that we've kind of talked through this a bit.
0: Yeah, there's a, I feel like there's a lot to unpack in that. It's a really good quote. Um, and it's part of a larger quote from Cameron Tonkinwise, who said it, who he has very strong opinions about all this. Um, the discipline of design being an applied discipline that represents things you you create representations of, of things that could be. And by doing that, um, you directly or indirectly create those like you you are a part of creating that future, whether it's like seeding that idea in people's heads or not. And I think as I think about that too, with with a lot of the structural inequities that underpin the world we live in being revealed now like the, the curtain kind of being lifted to it's like um in making futures like who who gets to be like who's a part of that conversation who are the people rendering that who is being like are you are you um constraining it to like your experience and your worldview um so for me it's there's just there's a lot of stuff to unpack just as I think about it like from a, from the perspective of like the work that I do and things I'm interested in, but then also like me as a person and how privileged I am to get to even work as a designer and get to think about this kind of stuff. Like it's, there's, a, there's a lot to unpack in that, I think for me. And yeah, it's something I've just like, I haven't given myself a ton of headspace to like sit and think about it without just trying to like start doing something new because it's hard.
1: I just wanted to say thanks to Adam again for chatting with us today. If you'd like to see some of Adam's work, you can check out his website at design.co, which is D-E-Z-E-I-N dot C-O. Or you can follow him on Twitter at at underscore design, which is at underscore D-E-Z-E-I-N. I'd also like to thank Tobias Humble for the music in this episode. We'll see you next time.